Pop Culture Affidavit episode 128. She's the man. Ladies, today we're going to go over the guidelines for a graceful, ladylike entree into society. Make sure she's in the back for the group photo. Viola was facing a fate worse than death. Sorry, Mom. I have a strict no ruffles policy. Until her twin brother, Sebastian. Where are you going? London for a couple of weeks. What are you going to do about school? I was kind of hoping you could help me with that. Showed her a way out. Could you just, like, pretend to be me? You want me to turn you into your brother? Nobody in Elyria has even met Sebastian. They wouldn't know the difference. Now, she's headed to Elyria Academy. Let's go kick cow! Where the men have game and the women have attitude. Hey there, pretty lady. Ew, girls with butts like mine do not talk to boys with faces like yours. Uh, what up? We're gonna be tight, bro. Seriously, how old are you? Uh, skipped a couple grades. <laughs> There is something odd about that new boy. You are so busted! But at this school, everyone's got a secret. Duke wants Olivia. Do you like cheese? Who wants Sebastian. Isn't he cute? How you doing, babe? Woo! Who is really Viola, whose brother is dating Monique. So she hates Olivia, who's dating Duke, to make Sebastian jealous. What does your heart tell you? Huh? Which one would you rather see naked? Is really Viola getting jealous because she wants Duke, who thinks she's a guy. Okay, okay. Um. And this is where it gets really complicated. Excuse me, doofus. Oh boy. Sexual tension, male-female dynamics, all part of the high school experience. Love is pain. I hate high school. Is it just me, or does this soccer game have more nudity than most? This spring. I'm not really good at talking to girls. Why? You're hot. What? <clears throat> you know, you're an appealing guy. Man. Guy, guy man. The secret is out. Amanda Bynes, Alex Breckenridge, Channing Tatum, Robert Hoffman, Vinnie Jones, Laura Ramsey, and David Cross. I got lady troubles. I got a lifetime of knowledge. She's the man. Oh! Oh, damn. Oh, right. Hello and welcome to episode 128 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. So welcome to 2022 and welcome to the second part of a two-part crossover with the other podcast that I'm part of, Required Reading with Tom and Stella. If you are a regular listener to that show, you should know that just last week, Stella and I covered William Shakespeare's classic comedy, Twelfth Night. And here we are covering a film adaptation of Twelfth Night, which is 2006's She's the Man, starring Amanda Bynes and Channing Tatum. We're going to spend the episode talking about the film, what we liked about it, what makes it a good adaptation of Shakespeare's play, or whether or not we think it's a good adaptation of Shakespeare's play. And who, might you ask, is the we that I keep mentioning? Because I'm not alone here. Well, it is, of course, my required reading co-host, who is a completely objective third-party observer with absolutely <laughs> no personal interest in the matter. It's Stella. Awesome. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm excited to talk about this. It is one of my favorite Shakespeare adaptations, uh, modernizations, mm -hmm. I guess I'll say. Yeah. Do you feel a bit dirty, though, that you're doing this crossover on your shows kind of to get cross-promotion? Do you feel it 
at all that you're <laughs> no i don't know I'm malvolio or somebody <laughs> well, like that. no i'm shameless okay <laughs> promotion promotion uh, do you like cheese you know i do <laughs> like cheese actually um, at, what, what does uh, she says like more than any other it's animal byproduct on the earth? <laughs> oh. oh gosh! Ah, <laughs> oh, Eunice. Oh, so, <laughs> so just a little background of the movie before we get into um, our histories with it. Uh, She's the man was directed by Andy Fickman, with a screenplay by Ewan Leslie, Karen McCullough, and Kirsten Smith. Premiered in theaters on March 17th, 2006, debuted at number three for its opening weekend, and then went on to gross $33.7 million at the domestic box office. It was the 95th highest grossing movie of 2006. It came in just above the Clint Eastwood-directed World War II film Flags of Our Fathers and just below Snakes on a Plane. Uh, this data, by the way, is from uh, Box Office Mojo. The top five for 2006, according to Box Office Mojo, from five to one were Superman Returns, The Da Vinci Code, X-Men The Last Stand, Cars, and at number one with $423 million domestically, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. So um, I don't know. I mean, it made its budget back and made a little bit more. I think it had like a $20 million budget or something. So it's it wasn't a complete flop. But I, uh, from what I understand, it, it it hit its audience, and then it I think it got a fair amount of uh, cable streaming and DVD play um, over the years. It certainly uh, certainly is something that a lot of the students I've taught over the years know of and have seen. Um, what's your history with She's the Man? Yeah, I was behind. The Times with this. I did not see it in theaters. I ended up seeing it randomly at band camp. Hmm. And I'm pretty sure, though, it was not when I was in high school. It was when I I came back for a couple years afterwards when I was in college to help out with the drum majors hmm. and help out with um, the marching and, and everything like that. And I remember the young woman who was drum major at the time had brought it and we watched it and I thought it was hilarious and asked if I could borrow it from her afterwards. And so she gave it to me and I rewatched it, I think maybe a couple times after that and then gave it back to her the next time I saw her at practice. So it, it was definitely a DVD. I had no idea about it, but I just thought it was <laughs> hilarious. And now, yeah, it's something that I can do a rewatch. I could do it whenever I want. I think sometimes it's it's more special if there's space in between rewatches, but I know it pretty thoroughly by how many times that I've seen it and and I know many of the quotes and things like that and it still gets a chuckle. So it's definitely one of those movies I think for me that you know if I'm having a bad time or a bad day or something that putting that on will automatically lift my spirits. So I think it's just like a go-to joyful gift that I'm glad exists. Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I first saw this uh, when I was teaching Twelfth Night. Um, I wanted to teach the play. We had a bunch of copies. I was talking to my department chair and he was like, you should watch. He jokingly said, you should watch She's the Man. And um, I had heard of the movie. I remember seeing probably seeing a trailer. I just the title sounded familiar, but I kind of wrote it off as like, you know, 
it's like not the type of movie I was watching at the time and um, barred his copy. And uh, you're right. Just laugh my butt off watching mm-hmm. it. And then I would show it um, at the end of the 12th night unit, the four or three or four times that I taught 12th night to sophomores. Um, even as I was saying on our episode last week of required reading, we tried to watch a straight up adaptation of 12th night. And even I was getting, I think about, about maybe, I don't even know if we got 15 minutes, 20 minutes into the, into that film. And we're just like, yeah, I'm bored. Let's watch, let's just watch. She's the man. So I, um, I, it is, it is one of my, um, spoiler, it's one of my favorite modernization adaptations of a, of a Shakespeare play. Um, but I've seen, yeah, I've seen it about, it's kind of like nine or 10 times at this point. Cause I would show it like, I have like two or three sections of that class. So I'd show it like two or three times a day, um, for a few years. And then I, but I hadn't watched it in probably a good three or four years. And so, um, but I, I, I rented it from Amazon. I think it was like a three ninety nine rental. And um, you're right. It just kind of fell right back into like every single scene in the movie. And I was like, I, I forgot that it's from 2006. It it has aged incredibly well. I think so. Yeah. I mean, maybe I squirmed a bit during the the restaurant, the pizza restaurant scene where everyone has to all of her girlfriends have to help file they throw out the, to, they throw themselves at her. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she's like talking to her and like she smacks one of their and I'm yeah. like, oh, a bit squirmy but i guess you kind of have to do it in order to to bolster you know her as sebastian yeah it's it's done for complete farce that scene though you know where where they they all deliberately overact it to um and it has as i'll get into that it has that great scene with monique so alexander breckenridge i didn't even know i own this now and when i put it on i was like oh my gosh is that alexander breckenridge which now i mean past that time she was on walking dead for maybe two seasons Mm -hmm. and then she's on virgin river which is an amazing you know dramatic romance Mm -hmm. on netflix where she cries all the time but who i just couldn't believe like there she is so it's fun to see those people pop up again yeah she's also on this is us um, oh, she plays I didn't know Sophie, that. and she was in um, an episode of Freaks and Geeks. Um, if you remember the episode where Lindsay wrecks the car in the beginning, and she becomes a like she goes back to the mathletes. Um, Alexander Breckenridge plays the girl who got like first chair in mathletes, like her inter intra team oh. rival. I can't remember the name of the character, but she's uh, yeah, she's the one who like Lindsay basically messes with her head and you know um, Shelly, I think her name is or something like that. So mm-hmm. Shelly Weaver, I think is her name. Um, these are the bits of information I retain. Yeah, so yeah, Alexander Breckenridge, <laughs> um, and Channing Tatum, who like um, who I just saw in a preview because I went to see Spider Man this weekend in the preview for a movie called he's in called like Dog, and um, it's like a him and a dog I forgot like this was like one of his first this is like the the one of his like first big leading roles mm. um in that like a like he was really nobody prior to this movie and and um Amanda Bynes he's even they've both said um he's even credited her with the fact that like she pushed for him to be in the movie and and kind of this movie started putting him on the map as far as him getting bigger and bigger roles and i'm like wow you know for 50 this movie is 15 years old at this point i'm like he looks i forgot how young he looked in this movie even though he kind of just gives blue steel for the entire entire film (laughs) 
So, all right, but we'll talk about this and everything. But I'm going to get into the plot summary here. So, so like I said, this is an adaptation of Twelfth Night, and if you want to hear all about the original source material, Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, go check out last week's episode, Required Reading. Um, in this movie, Amanda Bynes plays Viola Hastings. She's the twin sister of Sebastian Hastings, and he's played by James Kirk. Yeah, I know. Anyway, Viola attends the elite private school Cornwall Academy, and she finds out that the Cornwall girls' soccer team has been completely cut. She and her friends go to the boys' coach who could possibly help them, and, well, they're He's no help at all. He even laughs at her idea that the girls try out for the boys team, as does her boyfriend, Justin, who's played by Robert Hoffman. Now make that her ex-boyfriend because she dumps him at that very moment. Dejected, she heads home and on her way to the house and is confronted by her brother's girlfriend, Monique, and that's the aforementioned Alexander Breckenridge. Monique briefly mistakes Viola for Sebastian because Viola's wearing her hair up under a baseball cap. And then Viola walks into the house to see her mother, played by Airplane's Julie Haggerty, getting all pumped for Cotillion because it's her dream for her daughter to become a debutante. That, of course, is the exact opposite of what Viola wants or who Viola is. Viola just wants to play soccer. She gets her chance, and then she gets her chance when she sees Sebastian packing up and sneaking out of the house to fly to London, where his band has a gig. Because he is supposed to start school at Illyria, which is Cornwall's rival. Cornwall kicked him out. And uh, he needs Viola to cover for him for a couple of weeks. You know, call the nurse or whatever and say he's sick. But she decides to cover for him by pretending to be him. In order to do this, she enlists the aid of her best friend, Paul Antonio, who styles her and helps her get into character as Sebastian. Then she heads to Illyria, which is pretty much a disaster on the first day. As Sebastian, Viola is awkward and doesn't really make friends, especially with her roommate, Duke Orsino, and he's played by Channing Tatum. Plus, her efforts to get into the Illyria soccer team are kind of a disaster as well. While she makes the team, she's second string. Frustrated, she wants Paul to take her home or at least help her get on the team and gain social acceptance. Now, Paul can't help her with soccer, but he can help her with her social life. And this is the scene that Stella and I were just talking about. They go to a local pizza place where with Duke and his friends, Andrew and Toby there, they witness um, two of Viola's friends throw themselves at, quote, Sebastian, and then see, quote, Sebastian also dump Monique, uh, because she just shows up the pizza place at random, totally unplanned. And by the way, Monique has one of my favorite lines in the film in this very scene. Andrew, who is based on the character of Andrew Aguicheek, in fact, his name is on the back of his soccer uniform toward the end of the movie, tries to hit on Monique and she replies, girls with asses like mine do not go out with guys with faces like yours. (laughs) I love that line, Uh. especially her delivery. This works. Viola gets in with the guys later on in science class. She is paired with Olivia Lennox, with whom she'd previously had a meet cute outside the headmaster's office. And Duke admits he has a huge crush on Olivia. So what they do is they make a deal. Viola as Sebastian, of course, will help get Duke get a date with Olivia in exchange for extra practice on the soccer field so that Viola can make first string for the Cornwall game. 
Um, Olivia, by the way, is played by Laura Ramsey, who was in a couple of horror movies like The Ruins, a couple of other things. And she was in an excellent VH1 show from about 2015 called Hindsight, which only got one season and was set up to get a second season, but then was canceled because VH1 decided to go in a completely different direction with things. I'm still bitter. So um, with this agreement, there's one little wrinkle. Olivia actually likes Sebastian. And we all get all sorts of craziness over the course of the next couple of weeks. Uh, At a junior league carnival, Viola kisses Duke while she's working the kissing booth. This results in a fight between Duke and Justin, who already had bad blood between them because Duke is uh, a forward, right? Or or a striker? Striker of the soccer team. He's, He's offense. He scores goals and he scored goals on Justin and made Justin cry. Um, as he reminds Justin uh, at a junior league meeting, Viola, Olivia and Monique get into a really hilarious fight in the bathroom. Uh, Illyria's headmaster, who is played by David Cross, by the way, uh, seems to be on to Viola because he always seems to pop up at the most inopportune places. But he's just kind of keeping tabs on his new transfer student, like an unnatural interest in Sebastian. Uh, but he's like completely oblivious to the like he, he never actually figures it out, even though he's like always there at like the worst possible times. And then Olivia's friend, Malcolm Festy, who is sort of the Malvolio character in this whole thing. Uh, and he's played by James Snyder. And he's like weirdly obsessed with her to the point where he has his, her face printed onto a pillowcase. Um, which is reminiscent of Jason Siegel's character in the short-lived Judd Apatow sitcom Undeclared from like 2000, 2001, because he did the same thing with his, uh, his girlfriend. Anyway, tangents aside, Malcolm is scheming to get to figure out what the hell is going on with Sebastian because Olivia, he knows Olivia likes Sebastian. So it all comes to a head the night before the big game against Cornwall. Of course it does. Olivia, having taken Viola's advice to go for it with Sebastian, finds Sebastian and kisses him. And this time it's the real Sebastian because he's just come home from London. Duke sees this, gets really pissed off. And when Viola, dressed as Sebastian, returns to their dorm room, Duke gets mad at him, almost beats him up and kicks him out. With nowhere to go, she winds up on a bench, runs into Eunice, the brace-faced nerd played by Emily Perkins, who, by the way, played young Beverly in the 1990 uh, TV movie adaptation of It with Tim Curry as Pennywise. Oh, interesting. Uh, I was just trying to look at uh, previous roles of some of these actors. And she was also in, like, the Ginger Snaps movies, all those horror, like, where I think werewolf horror movies from, um, or or horror movies from, like, their mid-1990s. Anyway, uh, so... Viola stays the night in, in Eunice's room. Monique shows up at Illyria looking for Sebastian. She eventually figures out that Viola has been posing as her brother. And Malcolm does as well. And they go to the headmaster to tell him about it. Sebastian arrives at his Illyria dorm room. Duke's asleep at that point, And Duke wakes the next morning and leaves for the game without him. Toby and Andrew wake Sebastian up, haul his butt out of bed and onto the field. And Viola wakes up in Eunice's room really late for the game with Eunice staring creepily at her. She runs off to the soccer field where Sebastian is playing on the team during the first half, and and he is doing so miserably. Then the headmaster, Monique, and Malcolm interrupt the game to announce that Sebastian is not Sebastian. It's his sister, Viola. He says he's not, and to prove so, he drops Trow in front of everybody. With that all cleared up, 
Sebastian does dump Monique and he finishes the half. But before he can head to the locker room, Viola grabs him, explains everything, and they switch clothes. She returns to the field for the second half, convinces the coach to put her in. And while she plays well, Duke refuses to be a good teammate because he's pissed off about the kiss he saw. After a goal scored by each team in a brawl on the field, Viola finally comes clean about being posing as Sebastian, and Duke accepts her as a teammate. As time runs down, Viola makes her way downfield with the ball and is then body-checked, which draws, I think that's pretty much what happens. I can't remember if she's tripped or body-checked, but she's knocked to the ground, and that draws a card and a penalty kick. With her ex-boyfriend Justin in goal, she shoots, but it's saved. Duke gets the rebound, passes to Viola, who does this like Bruce Lee-style midair kick thing. Bicycle kick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, Channing Tatum's the one who does like the upside down bicycle kick too, <laughs> yeah. sending the ball to the back of the net. It's a it's a movie, you know. They're never gonna exactly you know have her like shoot the ball and have it trickle in or something, you know. <laughs> Everyone is excited and love is all around. Sebastian and Olivia officially get together. Toby confesses his love to Eunice, who I think the line is like, "I know how to do things" or "I know things" or something. <laughs> Yeah, she's, yeah, sexually adventurous, I guess. And then they just start to kiss, but it's almost like, uh, it's like this suction cup thing. It's it's actually really funny. And even Sebastian and Viola's divorced parents make up, but Duke is dejected and feels betrayed. And he and Viola never reconcile. The last scene is the debutante ball. Sebastian has delivered an invitation attached to a giant wheel of Gouda because of a joke earlier in the movie. But he turns it down, is not going to go there. Viola shows up to the ball. She's just there to help Olivia. But her mom walks in with a dress. Paul offers to be her escort, and she's going to go for a walk instead. She sees Duke and has an honest conversation with him. The film ends with the presentation of the newly minted debutantes. Monique is escorted by Justin. Olivia is escorted by Sebastian and Viola is escorted by Duke. They share a kiss on stage and we cut to the two of them practicing as part of the Illyria soccer team. And that's the plot. So I know we both really, really like this. Um, what is it about this movie that is so likable? Because like, I don't, you know, I, I was 31 when this came out, so I'm not exactly the core audience for a teen romance starring Amanda Bynes dressed as a teenage boy trying to, you know, like, it's just, this is not, this is not the movie that you'd expect somebody like me to like, but I really, really enjoy this movie. So, <laughs> you know, what, what is it about this movie that's just so great? Oh, I think it's, it's definitely the characters that they have and how they, they're all <laughs> really unique and either they have their own individual identity or they help bolster the, the main characters. Mm-hmm. I the writing, I think, is really smart, but this whole film would not work without Amanda Bynes and what she is able to do and just making it really apparent how awkward it is at first to, you know, be a girl pretending to be a guy. And then those slips of moments that she has that I think it'd be interesting to see what the actual script is versus what she does i don't know mm. how much i mean she was on all that so i feel like she probably 
is able to do improv. Yeah. But just some of them is like, what is happening right here? How are people able to maintain a straight face right now? So, yeah. And I think the, the, the source material, I was trying to think of what the word is because, you know, the closest thing to this that I can think of is 10 things I hate about you. Yeah. And there are some really amazing moments in there that I will always laugh at. But this one is just able to ramp that up and make it really comedic. And I think part of it is because of just like the, the body swap, you know, plot line. You can do so much with that. So I think source material, all the characters that they have that are wackadoodle. And then just, yeah, Amanda Bynes, first and foremost, leading, leading the charge. Yeah, the the um, yeah, she's got some scenes because I'm thinking back to like the first half of the movie where they where they set up the whole um, your apologies, <laughs> where <laughs> yes. they set up the whole disguise thing and they do your typical montage, which involves her and her friends trying on funny looking mustache things in the mirror. It's it's very goofy, but it's it's set to the Joan Jett version of the Mary Tyler Moore uh, TV show theme song. And, um, you know, her friend Paul's a hair, I believe he's, he's a hair a stylist or hairdresser. So he's the one who comes up with the wig and the sideburns and everything. But then, like, there's this just great montage of her, like, following men down the street and trying to walk like them and act like them. And yep. it, uh, you're right. I can imagine that. I, I, I would like to see what the script looks like, because I can imagine it's just that a lot of that was just her. Because she has great timing and um, stays like the character, keeps the character of Viola as Sebastian going really, yeah. really well through the entire movie. Um, it, like rarely, if ever, lets the fake voice slip. And when she does, it's completely on purpose mm-hmm. uh, because it's what suits the plot and stuff like that. And then she's got like even her introduction to the guys and everything like it's this very funny first day of a school bit where she like runs afoul of the band because she like the band is playing whatever song that they're playing and it's just it's this whole like whirlwind of stuff but it has that great yeah. scene i love the scene where she walks out there and she goes back into paul's car and is like and they're both screaming at each other like really 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 quickly about like she's like i'm not doing this i'm not doing this and he's like and then he just like pushes her out of the car and it's like little things like that that show that like this movie is going to really work and we haven't even gotten to the you know her is the um her is the guy thing and they even Mm -hmm. and then of course they have the the one they take care of all the logistics of her pretending to be a guy in a way that's either comedic or it's like really subtle, like the, the ACE bandage that they have, that she has to wear around her breasts, um, where she's like called into the headmaster's office. Cause she's like, Oh crap. They found out. And she just starts taking it off. And then there's like a whole visual gag of it being inside the filing cabinet. And, like, you know, she's kind of like trapped in the filing cabinet cause she was looking at her brother's file, which is like as thick as Bart Simpson's. And, um, and then there's the, the tampon bit, (laughs) Oh, yeah. So describe the tampon bit, too, because I find that really funny, too. (laughs) Yeah, so she – yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought this up because they were smart about that. Like what would a woman have to go through in order to – 
pretend to be a man Mm -hmm. and then what would be the obvious issues that a woman would have to go through. And I'll also say the wig that wig moment was really funny where she's like itching it and the headmaster goes down and you're like, oh, no, he's found her out. And he said, I know what you're going through. Male pattern baldness. Exactly. <laughs> That's one of my favorite. So, yeah, when she is unpacking her things initially and, of course, you have Duke and his two cronies with him, I'll call them, and – out dropped some tampons from her bag and everyone starts freaking out about like why do you have those so she's got to be real quick about why does she have feminine hygiene products and she says that it's for bloody noses basically and they're not believing it so she's got a demonstrate (laughs) she has to demonstrate for them and so she's taking out the wrapper she like takes off the applicator she's like whatever this is you know and just pretending to throw it in there and then sticks up the actual cotton padding in her nose and and says you know that's it and then they all like laugh at her and and make fun of her later on it is carried through which i'm glad so later on she comes in and oh it must have been after the fight at the carnival i think where yeah and a Duke had gotten into fisticuffs with Justin, mm-hmm. and and so she comes back, and he turns around, and, and the tampon's in his nose. And I will say that it actually really does work well because I sometimes I get bloody noses, and one time I had a really bad one. It was not stopping with tissues or toilet paper, and so I did that method, and it was great <laughs> because of the, the extra absorbency. So I approve of it. It was really smart, and the fact that they carried it through was great. So you're absolutely right that they yeah. really hit on – all those details. So I think it just makes it, uh, you know, another reason like it's a smart movie that it's not just throwing out these laughs. It's like, well, this laugh actually makes fun. That makes sense in terms of what Viola has to, yeah. uh, Viola. I always do that. I don't yeah. know uh, what Viola actually has to go through and live with for this amount of time. Yeah. The, um, and there's like little bits and pieces of it too. Like, like one of the first lines they have when they meet him is like the freshman dorms down the hall. And he's like, so what? I skipped a couple of grades. I'm brilliant. And then like, that's like, again, it's, you don't have to do a lot to set this up. You just need to pepper those little lines in. And it keeps us in the con because it's like, Oh, she thought of this stuff. You know, it's, she has to get, and the fact that they don't accept her right away, I think is a really good plot point. I know the, I know the the uh, the scene in the pizza parlor is a little bit squicky, but of course it's done completely over the top, and I think yeah. that's what makes it kind of acceptable. Like he's Cyranoing this whole thing, like you know he's Paul sitting at the table with like a Bluetooth on, running running, um, coordinating the His whole op, thing, yeah. and he's like cue Kia, and she walks in and she's like, you know, it, it's it's all done as like it's all done to show how stupid the guys are too, right? It's pointing out mm-hmm. how dumb these guys are because they're like, you know, um, they're all goofy and like, Oh my God. And then that that's accepting to them. So it's, it's almost like a, a straight up. It's, it's, it's a very, the fool is pointing out who the fools are moment. Like, you know, yeah. and, and it works, it works like a dream. And then they have the bit where like, you know, he dumps Monique behind a pile of pizza boxes that she's picked up. And like, so that Monique can't see her face because, you know, cause she's totally going to recognize Viola from the front. <laughs> yes. So Monique gets broken up with so many times. She just she's clinging yeah. on. Yeah, and and Bynes does physical comedy really well. The whole carnival with the 
having the quick change inside of like various porta potties, centrifuge rides, oh, and gosh. and a bouncy yeah. house, and the scene at the Debbie Temple that that comes right before the um the to Debbie Temple the scene at the Debbie Temple like the Cotillion meeting or whatever it is the luncheon that comes right before mm-hmm. the fight in the bathroom the fight in the bathroom is funny um because Laura Ramsey and Channing Tatum play play the straight person to the goofier characters. Right. But Laura Ramsey has, and Channing Tatum both have some good time. Like they, they play that part really well and they can bounce off the there. They have chemistry with the, with the leads. Um, and, but they show her eating her, um, her Laura Ramsey eating her, her, her food, like, you know, daintily, like a Debbie touch. Yes. <laughs> and Amanda Bynes has just this chicken drumstick and she's just like, <laughs> chomping down on this thing like tap, 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 you know and, and like yes. you know, sure about she's like you know and she's just exaggerating it so it's just that it's they're goofy low low humor points but they work so funny and the yeah. the movie doesn't really have to resort to um fart jokes and things like that actually you know there's there's like one there's like one or two really well well paced, well timed penis jokes in the film. Um, you know the, the, the fact that they just show Sebastian like, all right, here we go, dropping. You know they don't show anything. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just shot from the waist up. And then later on, when she has to prove that she's um, Viola, she lifts her shirt up. So they they kind of do. And again, they don't show anything. It's done comedically very very well. Uh, so they, they get away with some like mildly crude humor, but they do it. They do it without, mm-hmm. you know, they rely on some very funny physical bits without having to go way too crude. Like not like it's like American pie or road trip or some of the other movies from just right before that, uh, right before that era. What is your take on Channing Tatum? I mentioned he does play the straight man really well. Yeah. But aside from that is like, I mean, is he there just to be pretty? Do you think he actually plays the role of Duke Orsino well, or is it just kind of like anybody could have played that guy? Ooh, well, it's interesting when you were, they added conflict to this to a certain extent Mm -hmm. when you had to get Viola as Sebastian accepted because of course in the play we discussed how easy it is for Viola to make her way into his court and just become an intimate of his and and he really trusts her. So that's interesting, an interesting change to to add that because but you know, she's just so awkward that it's kinda hard. You're not gonna these cool kids are not gonna accept her, so it totally makes sense. Uh gosh. Orsino, I mean in the play, he's pretty two-dimensional. You know, there's not too much mm-hmm. about him necessarily. It's just that he helps give missions, I suppose. <laughs> and because of him, you know, that's how Viola meets uh, Olivia and everything ensues. So he, he doesn't add too much. So I think Channing Tatum could bring whatever he needed to bring to this role. So I feel like the Duke in this role or just Duke adds a bit more, like Mm. makes him a bit more interesting. And it's interesting now because Tatum does more comedic roles. It seems than serious roles. I mean, he's had his serious roles and he was in dear John, which is a a Nicholas Sparks film, Mm. but, uh, 
feel like I lost track of the original question, but that's okay. I'll get back to it. I think he does a good job. I think he plays what Orsino was in the actual play, but gives it a bit more dimension. There are some times that he's maybe over the top goofy. Like, I don't know why he is the way he is at the gym scene. Like, that seems, it always seems too much for me. Like, when he flips open the flip phone, he's like, hey. I mean, I can get being nervous around a girl, you know, that you really like, or just, you know, anyone. But that is just over the top. So at times, I feel like he is pretty funny, mm-hmm. like with um, Eunice, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, do you like cheese? And he's like, oh, he gets a little. <laughs> but really, I think we're just looking for the interactions between him and Viola, and I think those are pretty good. And he has serious – they have good conversations. Like that he's always the one who stamps down any sort of misogynist talk. Yeah which you wouldn't expect from that character, like just on page, mm-hmm. you'd probably think that he was kind of in the boys club he's as like well, the but alpha. he's the one who's like, don't talk. Yeah. yeah. When, um, Viola as Sebastian first says like, Oh yeah, you know, she's hot or whatever uh, about Olivia trying to get in into the, the boys club. He's like, don't talk about her that way. And then at one point, Viola, one of my favorite lines actually is, when it slips, like she slips again, and she's like, what, what would your heart, you know, what does your heart tell you? And he's like, what? As if he didn't hear, you know, he's wondering what she said. And, and then she says, which one would you rather see naked? And then he said, why do you always got to do that? You know, leap from one extreme to the other. So he has a lot of heart as well as being over the top goofy. So I think Channing Tatum does a good job with what was a two dimensional character and makes him like 2.5. D. <laughs> yeah, maybe in this. Film. Yeah, I agree. And and the 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 little twist, of the fact that he he cannot like the irony of him not being able to talk to Olivia, of like you know like even before that scene. So the, there's a scene uh, before that scene where like you know where they kind of introduce the fact that he has a thing for Olivia, um, and she's already had the meet cute with Viola as you know as Sebastian because yeah. they run into each other outside the office and and. He, they get the idea because Olivia gets like, um, you know, nods Sebastian quotes away. They're like, wow, she nodded at you. She gave you the nod. Right. You know, which is yeah. like and then and then they get paired up and there's like, well, I can help you get in. They come with the deal. But um, I, I can kind of relate. I was kind of like uh, if, if I if I got the if a if a girl who I had a like a, a girl on the level of. Olivia, um, who is like that strikingly beautiful because Laura Ramsey is beautiful, um, <laughs> would give me the time of day or have strike up a conversation with me. I, I would be kind of a, of a, when I was in high school, kind of like a, a, a slobbering mess of a, like, you know, mm-hmm. stuttering mess and like you, almost even extra goofy too because like I didn't, you know, I was like stupid and immature. Um, so his, like, his inability to just like, you know, especially because like when she talks to him in that gym scene, so she, she, she's talking to her, her friend and the character's name is Mariah, which is a reference to the character of Mariah in, in the play. And this character makes a one appearance. Um, Olivia's on like a Stairmaster or whatever or elliptical and they're talking about, you know, how to get Sebastian to talk to her or whatever, or go out with her or notice her. And her friend's like, we'll make him jealous. 
Um, and I have a feeling that maybe Mariah, that that character, and I can't remember the actress's name, but she's like redheaded river, maybe might have had a bigger role at one point, maybe an early draft in the script, and got cut down because it's like weird. She only appears in that one scene, and she seems to be like friends with Olivia. So I was yeah. like, maybe she had at one point they had to kind of cut that role. Um, anyway, that all aside, that scene he's acting all goofy because if you you know because I, I watched the scene, she is giving him. Like she's doing some very stereotypical how much you benching these days, like totally yeah. playing to his his testosterone in the sweaty gym. And she's sweaty and she's just giving him the flirt like she is flirting so hard in a way that he is totally falling for it. And then, you know, like and, and to the point where like he starts to do kind of a lean and he miss, and that's why I think I laugh out loud every time I see his head hit the side of the weight machine it's like he leads like boom like oh and then and then he does the he he has a flip flow and he flips it open exaggeratingly with and it's viola calling but the whole time like um what does he say i have to change my feet or something because she's olivia's just looking at him like you know the look is very like if there weren't anybody else in the room right now I would undress you that sort of look. So it's, it's, he is completely flummoxed. And I think he plays it really, really, really well because of the way that she, she's manipulating him. It's, it's, it's kind of the opposite of the, the pizza parlor scene. We're like, or it's kind of like along those lines where like she's playing to that thing. And and that's what I think is really, really funny. So you're saying that you would have been that awkward. Oh, like hit your head on the post. Of a, of a bench um, press machine. I probably would have dropped something, tripped over something, okay. yeah, fumbled with something, definitely fumbled with something. Um, I am not graceful. Um, I nor am I nimble. Um, and and I'm I'm a total <laughs> I'm total like clod type. And when I was in oh, high school, I was, yeah, I was just uh, yeah, was just uh, an awkward. I'm very I'm very awkward. So and I've always been very awkward. And I was an incredibly awkward teenager. So <laughs> I totally. Well, uh, you found someone, though, so it all worked out for you in it the did. end. It did. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, so we've got them. And I think I think she she plays a good foil to because she doesn't. Um, Viola and Olivia get along surprisingly well, especially after she realizes that Viola has uh, Olivia has fallen for Sebastian. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so there's not, and then you have the, the third character of Monique, who is another over the top character. Um, and that really funny fight in the bathroom. Um, and Malcolm, Malcolm is, I know why Malcolm's there and he's kind of the scheming character played in this sort of like, it's almost a Smithers kind of way. He's very sniveling. It works very well. He's got a tarantula named Malvolio, so there's the reference to the actual character. But he's like, and then he teams up with Monique to scheme against them, which is very typical of a movie like this. You know, you've got the one character who's trying to find stuff out, and to 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 the writer's credit, he they have him go to the one place where like he obviously figured out where Sebastian had gone to school, and they and he figures it all out based on the one place where you might be able to find out that information, which is he gets a hold of one of Cornwall's old yearbooks. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, you know. So again, it's the writers are pretty smart. They don't they don't have it go out of their way. Like they don't see her undressing or anything like that. Because I think a lesser writer and a lesser director, a lesser film would have had Malcolm 
run into a Viola naked or something like something cruder than flipping over a yearbook and seeing a headline says Hastings twins couldn't be sometimes you can't tell them apart or something like what it is. Um, yeah. I don't know what did, did the, did the Malcolm, uh, thing work for you? I think there needed to be someone that was probably in, investigating. I feel like he was Malvolio mm-hmm. <laughs> without being Malvolio. Malvolio's in here. It's um, the tarantula, yeah. which I, as a side story, I brought this probably the first time I think that I visited Donovan in Tennessee. <laughs> and the moment that I put it anywhere nearing that I was like, oh, Donovan, I forgot something because Donovan hates spiders. Oh, really? And so, I was, so then I had to tell him when to close his eyes. I was like, I'm so sorry. I forgot about this. And then it gets loose, you know. But, yeah, I, I think he needed to or someone needed to be there. I mean, if it weren't him, then it would have been the headmaster, mm-hmm. I think. But the headmaster is already sort of set up as a, a dopey kind of guy that was clearly on – the the threshold of discovering something and never did. And I think it was just an added dimension. Like it really does make this poly. What, you know, what is it called? Poly. What are those shapes polygon. called? Thank you. <laughs> Woo! A polygon. It makes it more intense because now you have someone else that is pining after Olivia yeah. and his scenes are just super bizarre. Right. He is in chemistry or whatever science mm-hmm. class there. It must have been biology, and says, "I've written you a song too. I see you through the window." Yeah. You know, it's like okay. So I, I think he is a comedic creeper, and someone did need to suss out what happened. Otherwise, you don't. You know, what's the resolution? Potentially, it would have just been a really smooth sailing. Yeah. But then how do you get Viola out of it and how does she get to be with with Duke? So in the end, Malcolm helps everybody out, but in a really contentious yeah. way. And, and had it had they not done Malcolm and used the headmaster, it would not have worked as well. Um, you could have yeah. cast a different actor to do it. But, you know, that is that is implying a line that is being crossed between an adult and, and a student or child, essentially, you know, that's, that's very, um, that doesn't, doesn't really work. And the only few, there's been very few times where an adult gets that obsessed with the whereabouts and, or, um, situation of a, of a kid in order to take them down, uh, that has actually worked. And the, honestly, the only time I can think of where it like truly works is Ferris Bueller's day off. But that's mm-hmm. a Ed is a just comedic villain and B Ferris Bueller's a guy, you know? And so there's not that, but you hear you have a girl playing. A guy, it, it gets very creepy, very fast. It gets very ick, very fast. So having Malvolio be the kind of rejected hanger on friend, the Smithers to Olivia, um, and having wanted to get revenge and uh, him being kind of he's almost sitcom in his in his portrayal of him. He really does feel like kind of the the, the jerk neighbor on a sitcom, um, you know, uh, and, and I think he does it well. And, and the scene where where 
because Monique basically Alexander Breckenridge is hilarious in the movie, even though she basically screams her way through the entire film. Yeah. Um, and the scene where she's screaming about, you know, Sebastian Viola in the dorm room hallway. Um, when Malcolm comes out, that's a, that's a great it's like it, it's a great little like they don't have to they don't have to have a conversation because the next time we see them, they're in the headmaster's office. And again, like it's edited so that we like, oh, that we know they had the conversation. And, you know, um, it's uh, I thought that was very, very well done. Um, yeah, the the they had the fair with the kiss with Viola and, and it, it works because in, in, Sha- in the Shakespeare play, everybody falls in love with everybody else at first sight. You know, mm-hmm. like she meets Duke. Uh, she meets Orsino in Twelfth Night, and it's pretty quickly by the end of the first couple of scenes of the play where Viola is in love with with Duke uh, with with Orsino, um, and then Olivia is in love with um, Viola posing as um, Cesar- uh, Cesario, right? Uh, Cesario, right after their first meeting, so you've got the scene at this carnival where Olivia has signed up for the kissing booth as has Viola and Duke's got a ticket and he's ready to, he, cause he's going to kiss Olivia at the, that's mm-hmm. the thing. But then Viola, like Olivia shift ends, Viola takes over and they, they share like a really, you know, a really, really good like kiss. And all of a sudden it's like, he's kind of got something for her at that very moment, which is tracks with the way Shakespeare had written that play. Like everything's all crazy topsy turvy. You could tell that like Viola already had feelings for him anyway, because she'd been his roommate for two weeks or whatever it was. So it yeah. all tracks. Um, and then you get to the soccer game. Now you're a fan of, of, of the football, of the beautiful game. Um, uh, my experience has been with the youth soccer. Um, so I don't really have any actual formal soccerness to me. I don't know how accurate everything is about the soccer play in the game. I will say, I think the coach for Illyria is hilarious because he's this like shaven headed British or Scottish guy who just basically screams at everybody the entire time. A great contrast to the very sniveling Cornwall coach. Uh, yeah. I don't know. What What do you think? Let's just take away all the comedy in the scene because obviously, like, you know, all of the, 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 the dropping of trow and the raising of shirts and David Cross with the megaphone screaming at, Mal- at Malcolm <laughs> and stuff like that is done for fun and that would never actually happen. Like, is it realistic enough to pull this off uh, the way the way the soccer is played in this game or in this movie? Are you just sitting there going like, what is this? This isn't soccer. No, no, I think that that it works well. I think the drills and well, uh, the one thing that actually terribly bothers me is no self-respecting female is going to wear her hair down when it's that long. There's just no way. And I don't know what they were thinking. Like they wanted to really now contrast Viola's femininity versus her forced masculinity. I don't Mm. know what that was about, but you would not do that. Now there's like a certain length that some women still play with it down, but that's like totally going to get in your way. And it's, it's probably also a a danger. I'm surprised. Yeah. I mean, maybe they just wanted a lot of like really, good looking shots of Amanda Bynes in, <laughs> you know, as Amanda Bynes, I'm surprised they didn't have her put in like a, at least a ponytail. 
A ponytail. Yeah. yeah. Come on. You're still going to have that, the, the floating. But no, like the training and the exercises that they're doing, I, I think is, is pretty spot on. I don't think that I, I'm so sorry. This is body shaming. But I don't think that that chubby guy <laughs> would have even made the second, second string. I mean, given how elite Illyria seems to be, soccer is just, unfortunately, it's just not that it's not for people that are not as well. She just, you're running all the time. Yeah. And so I think it's absolutely possible for him to make it, but he, he would have had to undergo yeah. some uh, intense training. So, yeah, I would say for the most part, um, it gets pretty, pretty intense and physical. So maybe not as many fouls were called mm. as, as should have been, but um, yeah. And then the psyching up with the, <laughs> with the PK you know, that yeah. happens. They don't often talk too much because that's like you're really trying to psych them yeah. out or you it's also it might be embarrassing for you. But that's like a really intense head game with you and the and the keeper. And depending on what they do, the keeper usually um, jumps up and down and gets ready. And then sometimes the the player that's going to kick is like looking for the entire time. The majority of the women I watch just like don't even acknowledge the keeper until it's time is just looking at because otherwise you're going to get psyched out. So that's a complete mental game. So I think that was really adapted well. And mm -hmm. Justin's just a jerk. <laughs> yeah. So it makes sense that he would, he would try to do that. Too yeah. I, I would imagine that it's hard to do a very silent game of intimidation in a, in a movie where there, yeah. well, a lot of the movie relies on dialogue and, you know, um, and and he's and and he is established by this point in his few scenes as a character that he's 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 a jerk, so he's going to be yeah. jerky. Um, yeah, the 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 some of the stuff obviously over the top. The uh, would there so there's there's uh, there's a couple goals that you see. I think the final score of the game is two to one, and um, so the two goals you see from Illyria on Cornwall. Um, because I think that the, the goal that scored on Cornwall there is just simply a very good kick that goes into the net after um, uh, I think it's it's I think it's after uh, like Viola's got the ball and she refused like or uh, I think Duke has the ball. If I'm trying to remember this correctly, I think it's after like he won't pass to Viola and he gets the ball taken away from him and they, they score or whatever. Yeah, but um there's the, so that's it's just basically it's a very very straightforward goal it's nothing really glamorous but the, the two goals that we have um the first one by duke is this like I, I, could you get that are you able to get a kick like that off in an actual game do you, i mean because it never seems to, like it's one of those things where he like literally like flips upside down and kicks the ball in midair into the goal and yeah, it, it's, it looks like yeah. it's something like more out of like a skills show off skills competition, you know, sure. like like the difference between a slam dunk and an actual ball game and something out of the slam dunk contest in the NBA, you know, and I just like, like mm -hmm. I don't know if you'd actually be able to get that kickoff the way that you think you're going to get that kickoff. <laughs> you are. It just needs to be properly placed. Yeah. I actually recently saw it on um, on an Instagram reel oh, really? and it, it I think it does kind of come down to. You know, if it's there and you also want to showboat a bit because it's also his 
leg or his foot would have been at the level of his maybe a little bit lower of mm. his head so like the easier way and the more like i'm definitely going to get this would be your head probably because you have to just trust that you're going to be flipping at the right time and you're going to connect with the ball whereas with the head you're going to be watching it the entire time and will be able to guide it in so i think there is a showboating factor to it you're right but it is possible yeah. i do i do appreciate the fact that um and a lot of times in these movies when you have the big play at the end, and this happens a lot with like hockey and football and soccer or basketball or whatever, it's kind of foreshadowed earlier in the movie with something that the um, the the athlete or athletes were practicing. And I don't think that that last goal that she kicks um, was something that her and Duke were practicing when he was he was basically showing her how to play soccer. Or like he was running drills with her the whole time, so it's not like they were, mm-hmm. um, like <laughs> one of my favorite sports movies of all time. You're gonna laugh is The Cutting Edge, which um, for, oh, you know, interesting. This like a 1992, 93 uh, figure skating. I do, with Moore, yes, Maura oh, Kelly and DB Sweeney, and the entire time they're practicing, they're trying to practice that move. They call it like the Pumchenko or whatever, and um, it's this whole thing where like he's got her by the ankles and he's spinning her around and like. He it involves him at one point swinging her to the point where she like if he if he goes too far, he slams her face into the ice. It's a really dangerous move. And they, they've they been practicing and like this is the move they do at the end of the of the free skate because it's the thing that's going to get them, the you know, the gold medal and everything that's not set up. I think it's just that they have her kick the pedal to kick miss. And it's just like because it's like the whole thing with her and Duke. So Duke redeeming the whole, I'm not going to pass to you when I'm pissed off at you. No, you're like this acceptance again of him passing it to her because she's wide open. And then she does the Bruce Lee, John Claude Van Damme flying soccer kick in the middle of there, <laughs> which of course they're going to give her that sort of moment, right? They're not just going to have her dribble it in past her boyfriend, but yeah. yeah so. And again, it's good that they were practicing it because it's I'm not going to say it's like worthless to be practicing Mm -hmm. that. But if you're going to be working on goal shooting, that's probably not going to be you want to work on your accuracy and like regular shooting first. But that at least leads into the end. So a lot of it is like they really prepared for, well, if we want this to be the end point, how do we have hints leading up to that? So I mean, but Viola could have, you know, potentially already known that skill, mm-hmm. you know, in, oh, the, yeah. in the women's league that she was yeah. in. But they they set it yeah. up. For and, us. and I mean, but they set it up, but they didn't set it up to the point where, like, we know this is the moment that's coming. We just know that she's going to be the one to score the winning goal because she's the hero of the movie. Um, and I think it's a good, pretty good fake out for her to miss the penalty shot, actually, because you think that's when it's going to happen. And then all of a sudden it doesn't. Um and I, I thought I don't know, I liked I liked that. I like the fact that that it doesn't it ends with the ball and not the um not the soccer game. Um because he's still really, really hurt. So like you say, he, he brought a little bit of dimension to Duke in that like, you know, he accepted the fact that like she's on the team and they played together well and everything, but at the end of the game he's like moping around the field and he just walks away. You know, so it's not like they reunite on the field and like, you know, oh, I love you. And, you know, they're not Toby and Eunice. And the <laughs> God, I love that. So yes. funny. Um, so 
they're just going at it. They like go down the screen yeah. and Viola's just like watching them and then walking. Yeah. Away. And then they even have like one little last comedic bit where like she sees who she thinks is Duke walking up to her in the dark behind the, the you know, in the garden by the, by the catering hall or whatever. And she's like, I knew you would come and blah, blah, blah. And it's the, she's, it's like the landscapers like lady, I got to turn the sprinklers on. <laughs> It's just like, uh oh, and then he's like standing behind her, so it's it's kind of a cute little, cute little scene. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think of anything else. Um, as a teen movie, so take the Shakespeare out of it. As a teen movie, I think this holds up so well because it has very little that is problematic in the way that say, sixteen candles. Um, American Pie, uh, even like Revenge of the Nerds and a couple of other movies from the 80s and 90s are now pretty have scenes or an entire plot points that like um, are are really like cringy, um, even mm. even pretty, pretty awful. To be completely honest, the 16 Candles is kind of a dumpster fire in quite a number of points, um, as is Revenge of the Nerds, American Pie overall has it's really really good moments but then there's the whole like um shannon elizabeth getting naked and they're broadcasting her over the internet without her knowledge portion of that film that like you're like ooh, because in 1999 when you're watching it and you're 17 years old and i wasn't i was 21 but you're 17 you're like oh look boobs but then like then you then you get like older and you see you think of that movie again you're like oh yeah that's not right <laughs> <laughs> but this doesn't really have, I mean, yeah, excise the cheap fat joke they get with that one guy on the team, you know, because um, it's got like Amanda Bynes and like some really short kid, like all these all these really beat up looking like second stringers. Who are, so they got like, you know, the, the really fat kid. And it's just like, yeah, it's kind of a cheap joke. But other than that, there's really nothing that's horrifically problematic. I think Paul's supposed to be the kind of very stock gay best friend character. But mm -hmm. even then, he's not caricaturish. I would agree. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing would be him being a hairdresser, maybe. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, but, uh, no, I, I think that he's treated respectfully. But that serves the, him being a hairdresser serves the plot because he's able to style. Yes, it her, does. You know, yeah. so so at least having that trope or that stereotype um, works for the plot of the movie. But yeah, so I think that's part of it. I think it also is, I don't know, I find it to be a very good romantic comedy as well, in a sense. Mm -hmm. I would agree. I think, <laughs> yeah, that moment in the, well, first of all, you were talking about the, when she and Paul, well, when Paul is dropping her <laughs> off and the first classmate walks by and is like, hey, she's like, hey, oh my God, he knows. And then she's like, that is, that is a classic you know, rewind scene. Uh, I also like the scene right before, well, I guess that whole luncheon that you're talking about, because yes, I remember the lady leading is like, chew like you have a secret. Yes. <laughs> but she, Viola the entire time is fuming because, you know, of this whole thing is really backfiring mm -hmm. on her. And, and she's just staring across the, the way at Olivia and she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And making fun of her as she's chewing. And it's fun to watch the people at her table who are just like, what is going on with yeah. this chick? And then they meet in the bathroom and her reaction to Olivia saying, 
that she has feelings for Sebastian, who is, of course, Viola. And she's like, no, no, no. And they just go back and forth. And then, of course, there's a big girl yeah. fight and everything. So, yeah, I, I it's it's just a lot of fun. I think the only other thing that might have been cringy, which I guess they still exist. I mean, they did three films called Kissing Booth, but are Kissing Booths because I'm which I yeah. guess consent is there yeah. because you've signed up for it. But it's just like I'm think. Well, now I'm thinking about it in terms of covid. Like, <laughs> who wants to do that? But there's like an old man there. Do you think that's appropriate? When Olivia passes off, it's like, just so you know, that old guy, he's not chewing good. So that's a little weird. But otherwise, I I take your I I agree that I think it holds up. They're pulling from some really classic type of bits there. I mean, like I said, there's something very sitcom about that, too. You know, so the kissing booth gag. I mean, it's been in those types of gags have been in other movies and TV shows before. So I think that's why I let it, let it slide. I do like how they integrated the, um, the debutante ball stuff into the film because she doesn't want to do it. Like when we first see her mother, Julie Haggerty is a funny, funny actress and she's like one of the best parts of airplane. And, um, she has all these like really frilly, crazy, like eighties bride looking dresses for the, for the ball. And Viola's like, I, told you I'm not doing this. And the reason she ends up going is because she needs a cover story because the cover story for Viola heading off to Illyria is that she's staying with the dad. And the same thing with Sebastian. Sebastian tells Viola, like, tell, tell mom I'm staying at dad. So that's the cover story. And Viola's mom's like, no, you're not. And then she's like, well, I figure that, you know, Monique's going to be over there and she's in the Debbie Temple and she can show me the rope. So it's basically like to keep her cover and get her mother off her back. She agrees to do this. So I thought that was a really good, again, a really good way to weave that in, because one of the things about Twelfth Night as a play that Shakespeare is having fun with is that he's poking fun at the upper crust of society. Like, you know, all of the characters in Twelfth Night who are in the love polygon um, are, yeah. are nobles or royalty or something like you have a Duke and a countess and, and, and Viola and Sebastian suggested are, you know, do come from good stock. And, and then Malvolio is ambitious and trying to get into there. So he's, he's poking. And, and this was some of his comedies really do. They do poke fun at the upper crust. And here you have an elite private school and you have a debutante ball. I mean, that's kind of the, current day American teenager upper crust type of thing, you know, in the same way that Gossip Girl kind of parodied that New York City private school life Mm -hmm. um, uh, in its way, like, but also made it a salacious soap opera. But yeah, so I think the I think the use of the debutante ball was really well, well done. And it was well integrated without it seeming like shoehorned into the plot because the plot centered around her wanting to play on the girls soccer team. And again, it also was one of those things where like, wow, they thought through how are her parents going to – because it's one of the things about these teen movies sometimes where you're just like, where are the parents at all this? And in her case, her, the parents are divorced, so the dad's probably – the dad's barely in the movie until the end, so they probably can – he's probably – I think it's just implied he's clueless anyway. It's probably why they're divorced. And um, 
she got her mom off her back and it's like, okay, yeah. And then they, they have some fun with the upper crust with the chew like you have a secret and all the really antiquated junior league lady like stereotypical behaviors that are like totally not the the princessy things that Viola is not, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess they don't. Is it okay that there's not a tragedy that he goes over to Sebastian goes over to England? Yeah. In order to audition for a band, but the the whole losing the twin was in the mm-hmm. in the source material was predicated, of course, off of a tragedy. Are you okay that there's not a tragedy behind well, it? Yeah, because it's there's a loss behind it because she loses something she loves, which is the soccer. So her motivation, her motivation for being in Illyria and being with Olivia, so she can mourn her brother's death alongside Olivia, who mm-hmm. has married death, so to speak, you know, Black Veil and her mourning her brother and her father. Viola is mourning the loss of being able to play soccer high in her at her high school. In and it's implied that she's got us that she's like really good on the girls team at Cornwall and actually has a shot at being scouted, you know, like they mentioned colleges. They mentioned, I think, Penn State, and she wants to go to UNC Chapel Hill. You know, it's like, so So she's not, you know, she, she's losing something she really, really loves. And now instead of, and the opportunity here is to play. So I don't think you need the tragedy. I think it's tragic, tragic enough to lose the thing that you love. And then shipping Sebastian off to London to follow his own passions. It's like, that works, especially since they're rich kids. And it's like, Rich kids get away, and then and then her dad has that line like England. You've got to tell me when you do you, next time you 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 can't you can't travel internationally without telling me or something like really stupid. It's like a dumb dad line, but it's just like because of the way it's phrased, it's like you know you have to tell me every time you have you want to travel internationally or something. I, I crack up at that line because it's just like yeah, way to lay down the law, dad. You know, <laughs> so I think it works in my rambling, incoherent answer to that. That's okay. You answered the question. That's all that matters. I, I just got to have one more question. What do you think of it as a Shakespeare uh, modernization? A Shakespeare? Shakespeare modernization. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of an adaptation. It's not an adaptation in the conventional sense in that it's not set at the same time or it's not. You can set. You can set Shakespeare. There's versions of Shakespeare's play set to film that are set in modern day, but they're using the same script. It doesn't use the script at all, um, and it's it's just an adaptation in the same way that Ten Things I Hate About You is an adaptation of The Taming of the Shrew, or Clueless is an adaptation of um, Jane Austen's novel Emma. Um, what do you think about this as an update or modernization slash adaptation of a Shakespeare play? I think. This is funny because, of course, I'm doing Dear Reader, you know, so that's like one of the big questions is, hey, is this a good adaptation? I think, you know, one of my questions would be, can I get a sense of what the source material is from watching this? Like, would I understand? Mm -hmm. And I would say absolutely. I think that I understand. I think it very much has, while it might not be like the law of Twelfth Night, it has the spirit of Twelfth Night. And with the exception of a couple characters, I think it it gives you the gist uh, and, and perhaps more like a heavier term than gist of the plot. And in which case, I think reading it 
I was able to better understand mm-hmm. it because Shakespeare, you know, it's not easy. So usually I have to go slow with the first time that I'm reading some of these plays. But this one, I had a good sense of, oh, I know who these characters are already. So it gave me a, a better idea, especially with, you know, all the body swapping. So I think it's a successful adaptation. Yeah, I do, too. And I found out over the years that I did this. When I would show it at the end of the unit, it helped a little bit with a little more comprehension of the original text because they start, you know, they realize that certain elements of the play are not in there. Like the entire subplot in Twelfth Night of Toby, Andrew, Festy, Mariah, and um, Fabian forging a letter from Olivia to Malvolio and causing him to dress garishly and then locking him in a prison and everything. It's completely excised from this. The characters are still there. Um, and Toby and Andrew are basically like kind of the, the bros to, to, to Duke, like, you know, his friends and stuff, his crew. And that really works. But like, there's no, there's no way you could shove that subplot into this, into this movie. So they wisely just said, you know what, we're going to keep this out of there. Um, but other than that, like they matched up this character with this character and they see this, they start to, they start to kind of do the math in their head as they're watching it in class from having read it, then you're right. They, they kind of go back and they remember what happened in the play. So it kind of, it, it works in reverse a little bit. So yeah, I think, and I think it's a really good, um, I think it's also a really good introduction to Shakespearean comedy, you know, Shakespearean comedy, mm-hmm. like I said last week was, is really hard to read and really, really get, you have to hear it or see it being performed to really get the, everything the jokes, yeah. the, the moments and everything, because it's so predicated on character and not as much action as, say, um, uh, Caesar or Macbeth or something. So mm-hmm. it's not as easy to follow. And really, it, it, it's just this and, well, no, that's not true. It was 10 things, mm-hmm. but then they also have done much ado about nothing. Mm. And then... Yeah, so I guess there's other – and then the one you don't like where we were kind of thinking there might be some comedic elements in it. Oh, the play? But, yes, the, that play. We'll get around to that play. That play – I'm talking about Romeo and Juliet for those who get her. <laughs> that play – Tom and I know each other. That play is – Good, that good play job is, bringing in the It's five acts, of course. All Shakespeare's plays are five acts. Acts one and two are a comedy, and acts three through five are a tragedy. And I think that's, you know, when I start to examine the play from that lens, I actually like the play better because, you know, one of my one of my uh, professors, my Shakespeare professor in college used to joke that all of Shakespeare's play tragedies end in funerals and all of Shakespeare's comedies end in weddings. And act two of Romeo and Juliet ends with the two of them getting married. And act three, scene one is a direct mirror, I think on purpose, but a more tragic of act one, scene one. And when I mm. see that and I see the tragedy that unfolds, I'm, I'm from Act 3 on, because Act 3 scene ones were uh, Melville, not Melvolio, um, <sighs> Mercutio, my favorite character in the play, dies and stuff like that, you know. So it, it works in that level. So, yeah, so there's comedic. There's definitely comedy in Romeo and Juliet amidst all the tragedy. We'll get to that one at some point. So, yeah. I'm really surprised that one that you attempted to watch, which I was actually considering watching before we recorded mm. required mm-hmm. reading with, because it looked like a good cast. And I thought, Oh, this be-. the fact that you called it boring is really disconcerting <sighs> it, because I think this play can't, there's no way that this play 
is boring, nor should uh, it ever be presented as boring. So that's a problem. I'd have to rewatch it. I was watching it for the first. I did the mistake of going in blind to it and watching it with my class for the first time, so I hadn't previewed it because I was like, oh, it's a Shakespeare adaptation. It'll be fine. And um, I was sensing their boredom, and I think I kind of turned around and was like, everybody here in the room is bored, and I can't be excited enough to keep their attention for it, so I cut the movie. Um, maybe if I went back and watched it on my own, I'd actually like it a lot more. So I'm admitting my faults in criticizing that film. It was, I don't think it was just, I think it was just oh, the, the, okay. the audience I was with caused me to be like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. I understand. Knowing your audience yeah. is uh, really important when yeah, you're a teacher. Yeah. So sometimes you have to cut bait. So <laughs> anyway, I'm um, speaking of knowing your audience, you have an audience for a couple of podcasts. So why don't, before you go, you <gasps> plug what you have uh, out there. Do I need to plug required reading? You don't need reading? to plug required reading, but do go over and listen <laughs> to required reading with Tom and Stella. What else you got out there? Oh, uh, yeah. So back row the Oracle, whose birthday just passed. She turned 12 years old. She's a middle schooler now. So pray for me. That is my show where I cover nearly every every appearance of Barbara Gordon. I've been tracing her origin story and, and leading us through it all. And currently, I think I'm in 2002 Ooh. with the vintage, quote unquote, vintage coverage. And now I've been enjoying looking at Nightwing. I'm not really covering it, but Batgirls mm. number one just dropped uh, in December. So I guess number two is coming out. So now I get to see Barbara in the modern tales as well. And you can find that at the batmanuniverse.net. And my Twitter handle is at Batgirl the Oracle. You can also email me if you don't like something that I've said on this show at Batgirl the Oracle at gmail.com. And then my newest, which I don't know what I was thinking, but it had to be done. My newest is a limited series called Dear Reader, a Jane Eyre podcast. And that is over at the Fire and Water podcast network and that is where i episode one i looked at jane Eyre by charlotte bronte and and talked about it hopefully in a way that that i haven't before and that tom and i hadn't talked about it before on required reading and then the subsequent episodes which again limited series i'm picking maybe two two adaptations each episode to pair off against each other or contrast with each other and just see how Jane Eyre has been adapted through different media incarnations and through the years. And yes, everyone's super excited for the Jane Eyre erotica, <laughs> but you're going to have to wait a uh, bit longer. <laughs> that one's going to be a little, I, you know, you've got to keep oh, yeah, people waiting tease. for it. So that's <laughs> that's going to be a later episode. I'm, I know exactly what I'm going to pair it up with. But it's been fun and sometimes frustrating just because Jane Eyre is my favorite character and my favorite novel and to see some things that are successful and also some things that are not is hard sometimes when you really love a property. So, but it's been good. So you can find that at the fire and water podcast network. And I don't have any separate, I'm lazy. I don't need multiple things going on. So you can just email me or find me on Twitter for all that. And I think that's right. it. And that'll do it for me as well. Um, next time around, I'm going to be diving back into the comics bins, and I'm going to be doing a little bit of comics history. Not the history of an industry, not the history of a character, but the history of a couple of the universes through some of the books they've published as official histories on that part. So I'll be taking a look at Marvel Saga, the history of the DC Universe, 
and other similar publications and my own history with them. And I'll also have your feedback from the last couple of episodes next episode. She'll drop in February. So until then, thank you as always. Thank you for listening and take care. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, which is produced by me, Tom Panneries. All clips are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This podcast is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you can find at twotruefreaks.com. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show get noticed by other people. Feedback via email can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. For show notes and essays and other things random in the world of popular culture, visit popcultureaffidavit.com. You can also follow this show on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit and on Twitter at popaff, that's P-O-P-A-F-F. Thanks for listening, and come back next time for more pop culture randomness.